You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. My name is Mark Smith, and I was blessed to be chosen by Bob to open my home as a midweek Bible study and be Calvary's first member. Happy anniversary, Calvary. I can't believe it's been 22 years. But Happy anniversary, Calvary. You're probably wondering, Pastor George, what are you doing in the children's ministry? Well, I'm here to share my favorite memory in the last 22 years. Imagine getting off stage, Pastor Bob is preaching, and the fire alarm for the whole building goes off. I walk outside, I see my wife, she looks at me with a face that only a wife can give me, and I'm just like, no. My son pulled the fire alarm. I'll never forget that. So I'm grateful for this church for the last 22 years, but I'm even more grateful that we finally have covers over our fire alarms. I was told somebody checked the calendar and it's been 22 years since uh, you first started Calvary Chapel Miami Lakes. Time flies when we're having fun. Congratulations on the 22 year anniversary. I just wanted to take the opportunity to congratulate you on 22 years of effective growing ministry. And church, I want you to know that I've known Pastor Bob for 26 years, and I've learned so much from him, as I'm sure that you have also, as your pastor has become a mentor for so many. Pastor Bob, your love for people and your passion to see them take their next step with God is what keeps this place going. So thank you for everything you do. It is truly a privilege to be able to work with you and with this amazing team. Thank you so much uh, for being faithful and responding to God's call 22 years ago to plant this amazing church that we all get to call home. Um, you're not just my pastor, you're my friend. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for pastoring my family for the past 17 years. And I can't wait to do, you know, 17, 22, 50 more years of ministry together. Happy anniversary, Calvary. Thank you for all that you do for us. We love you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Calvary. Calvary. Thank you for being such an awesome uncle and leading us both in ministry. We, we love, love you. you. Hi, Calvary family. Hi, Bob. 22 years ago, we packed up everything we owned into our little car and we went south. I was scared and I was nervous, but I was excited to see what God would do with you and me. And it's been quite the adventure. And now it's not just God, you and me. It's everybody it's all of us we're all doing it together everyone here in this room and we just uh, love you so much and we love all that we've done and all god has done for us and uh we love you dad we, we love, love you, you. <sighs> what are you people trying to do to me and i saw this at 10 o'clock and i said oh i saw it at 10 i won't cry at 11 30. And um, I was wrong. And, uh, and I didn't know. I didn't know about this video. And then I thought it's so weird that they put a box of tissues here. And then I saw the video. I'm like, now I understand. So, wow. It's, um, you know, I think the thing that moves me the most is, um, is just seeing a video with the people that I, so many of the people that I love the most. Um, so, anyway. Um, wow. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Um, so I've been listening to that song this week. My, my daughter has been playing it. And she's like, but we're going to play Taylor's version because that way Taylor gets the money. And I'm like, Mia, Taylor's doing okay. So she's just fine. She's going to make her mortgage this month. Uh, so anyway, but uh, man, I remember, uh, I remember 22 years ago when I started this church, um, I was young, and uh, I was 26 and barely shaving, and, and I remember my wife telling me, you know, when we celebrate our 20th anniversary at Calvary, you'll be 46, and I said, I'll never be that old, and um, now I'm 48, and, uh, and I remember when I turned 40, my wife threw this big uh, party for me, and both of my friends came, and... Um, <laughs> And uh, my daughter, Mia, was seven, Xander was four, Olivia, I think, was one. And, uh, and so she asked, because Mia was kind of emceeing the event, and she's like, Dad, how old are you? And I said, I'm 40. And she started to cry. And she hugged me. She's like, I don't want you to die. And I'm uh, like, <laughs> well, me neither. Uh, and so now I, I, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen when I, next month uh, when my kids find out I'm turning 49. And, um, 
But we started Calvary in uh, September of 2000. And I don't know if you're aware of what was kind of happening in the world in September of 2000, but just to kind of give you a little bit of a picture. The first thing we were doing is we were getting, getting over this. Uh, this was the, uh, the Y2K scare. Anybody remember, you old enough to remember that? Wow, man, we were freak, people freaking out. Like, what's going to happen? The computers, they don't know. They don't know how to change from one to two. It, it's, and they're going to go back to 1900. And uh, so people were freaking out about that. And then uh, 2000 is when we became, somehow as a culture, we became obsessed with celebrity couples. This was the first celebrity couple that we loved was uh, Brad and, and Jennifer. And, and then we started mashing up the names. So they were known as Berenifer. And I told my wife we should never do that because Bob and Carrie together is Barry. And I'm like, let's not do that. Um, in 2000, if you wanted to talk to us, this is what you would call us on. The original, who had the original Nextel phone? A couple, first of all, 10 a.m., those were my people. There was like a bunch of Nextel users at, at 10 o'clock. Apparently, this is a crowd as much uh, younger. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we, when you had that original Nextel, and it was like, oh, pardon me, I need to use my walkie-talkie. You know, so that's what, how that worked. Um, in 2000, one of my favorite albums came out which was uh, Parachutes by Coldplay, and uh, we've never looked at the color yellow the same way. And, uh, and by the way, speaking of music, let me give you a little, um, here were some of the songs that were happening when we, we planted Calvary in 2000. Number one songs in 2000 were Bye 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 by NSYNC. And, uh, all right. All right. I'm sorry to tell you, they broke up. I know, it's so sad. And uh, so, uh, oops, I did it again. Uh, by Britney Spears, Smooth by Carlos Santana, um, and then Say My Name by Destiny's Child, before, of course, Beyonce went solo and became Destiny's grandchild. And uh, so, um, all of which you can hear on 97.3 The Coast, uh, the official radio station of all middle-aged people, because we're the only people still listening to the radio. And <laughs> so... I'll tell you this, because apparently we're just talking, uh, and this is, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get over this emotional video, but, um, so I got, the city of Miramar asked, to, asked me to speak at this event, so I go over there, and I, um, they kind of mic me up and all that, and then um, I meet the person who's hosting the event, and it's this uh, lady that was a DJ, she's like a pretty well-known DJ in, in the area for the last, you know, 20 years or so, so uh, I brought my son with me, and she just loved Xander, which everybody who meets Xander loves Xander. That's not a surprise. But, um, but so I'm talking to her, and I'm like, hey, listen, I'm such a big fan. I used to listen to you when you were a DJ on 94.9 Zeta and, um, when I was in high school and starting college. And she's like, oh, you must be in your mid-40s. And I well, yes. And, uh, and she says, but your son is young. How is your son? Um, I think at the time, Xander was like eight. And uh, she's like, how are your son eight, and you're in your mid-40s? I'm like, well, it's... It took my wife a few years, uh, us a few years to kind of figure out how things work. And, um, and then, and she's like, you know, I always know how old people are based on when they remember me from, and Zeta is one of the older ones. And I was like, ugh. And, um, but people ask me if, if I miss, uh, they, they'll ask me, do you miss the old days at Calvary, like meeting in a movie theater? Like, no, not at all. Like, I'm telling people, because the idea of meeting in a movie theater, that sounds so cool and avant-garde. Uh, but then when you realize that you, we would get there on Sunday morning and they hadn't mopped and the, like you were sticking to the floor because of all the butter from the popcorn. And then we had, uh, you know, because what we did was, now movie theaters work pretty well for this environment, right? Because all the seats are pointing in the same direction, so that works. But then we had to do children's ministry too, so we would find a movie theater that was close to the bigger theater that we were in that had a space between the first row and the, the screen. And so then, because of, we couldn't let kids crawl on the dried, buttered floor, so we, would, we bought these yoga mats, and so we'd had these yoga mats that we'd clean every week, and then the kids could crawl on those. And, um, and I remember that the, uh, we stored everything under the screens. And, and then I remember we got there, we started getting there on Sunday mornings and the, all the yoga mats would be out and our bins would be open. And, uh, and then um, the containers where we had like the goldfish and the uh, animal crackers, those would be open. And we were like wondering like, what is going on here? So we had all, this, all these bins were open, right? And then the... <laughs> 
And then we, uh, so we're trying to figure out how the bins were getting open. I remember some of the, the staff at the time were like, you know, maybe, because they, they had like a serious roach problem at this, because, you know, once again, I mentioned that the floor wasn't cleaned. And so butter on the floor usually invites bugs. And they're like, maybe the bugs are opening the containers. And I'm thinking like, that's the best you can come up with. Is, and I'm like, you think this is Jurassic Park where animals can just like punch numbers in? Anyway, so uh, one night we go back and uh, we, we did an event. So we're putting some stuff away at the theater and we see, we, we go to underneath and there's a kid who is laying on the mats. He's asleep. He's got goldfish all over him and, and animal crackers. And it turns out the kid had been living in the movie theater for a few weeks because he had gotten into a fight with his mom. So I meet him that night and I say, uh, dude, what is going on? He's like, oh, my mom, you know, and I'm like, here's my phone, my next tell I gave him. And I said, I want you to call your mom and apologize for whatever dumb thing you did. Well, you don't understand. How do you know it's not my fault? And I'm like, am I wrong? Nah, give me the phone. It was me. And so anyway, so he does, he calls his mom and she says he can come home and all is right in the world. Another family put together through the ministry of Calvary. And, uh, and then I remember the kid lived in Doral and I remember because I sent him a bill for all the goldfish and animal crackers that he ate. And no, I didn't do that. So just in case those of you, you're like, he did. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. But you know, um, there, there is one of the... One, so yeah, I don't miss the old days. I, I, I am so excited about what God is doing right now at Calvary, and I'm grateful for the next 22. I think you're going to be greater than the first 22. And I did this uh, calculation last night that after the next 22, uh, I'll be 70. And that's horrifying. And uh, so I don't want to talk about that anymore. And, uh, but you know what I love? There, there is really something so powerful about a story uh, to bring people together and connect us emotionally to a powerful truth. And that's really what parables are. They are stories that connect us to a principle, and that's what makes them so powerful. That's why one-third of Jesus' words were stories. And so last week, we started looking at what are called the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, and we looked at the most famous one, which is the parable of the sower. Well, Jesus gives a few others in that chapter, and that's what I want to spend some time uh, looking at. And the reason why Jesus gives these parables, I think, is really important for us to understand, because the listeners... The listeners were Jewish, and they were all saying, the kingdom of God is coming. If Jesus is the Messiah, then the kingdom of God is here, it's coming, it's coming quickly, and it's coming forcefully. And Jesus has to reset the expectations to say that because he's not coming as a military leader, he's not coming to overthrow Rome, he's not coming to recapture the land. Instead, the kingdom of God is going to work in a counterintuitive way than what they expected. So... To explain that, he's going to give them several parables that are going to explain the nature of how the kingdom of God is going to work that is very, very different than what they expected. So we're going to start in verse 24 of Matthew 13. Here's what we read. He says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, the enemy, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it have tares? And he said to him, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest you gather up the tares and you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if you skip down to verse 36, Jesus explains this parable, thankfully. And he says, and then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said to them, he who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy sowed, uh, who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, 
As the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we're going to look at when it comes to the kingdom of God. And the first is this, is that the kingdom of God has real enemies. The parable begins with something that in that culture was so evil and insidious, it was essentially unheard of. That is adding tares to the wheat. Now, you got to remember, this was an agrarian culture that Jesus was speaking to. So any, uh, any kind of illustration or story that involved farming or fishing or shepherding would have really hit home because that's the world that they were living. So as we talked about, and, and let me explain uh, what's happening. There is a faithful farmer sowing good seed in the ground. And he's been working hard to get the ground ready to receive seed, produce a good crop and in the middle of the night. An enemy sows tares among the wheat. Now, tares means weeds. And literally, the word is uh, zazanian, uh, which refers to what's called a darnel weed. Now, I know that that's kind of like geeking out on uh, this type of uh, weeds, but this, this type of, this darnel weed, when you plant it, it looks exactly like wheat at first. And the only way that you can tell the difference is that when the wheat begins to bear grain, that's how you can tell that one is a weed and one is actually uh, grain. It was such a hateful thing to do. It was almost unheard of. And the Roman Empire passed a law to make doing this illegal. That's how serious it was. So the question becomes, why would someone risk imprisonment by the Roman Empire to do, to do this? Well, it's because this enemy hates the farmer that much. And I'm grateful that we don't have to try and decipher the meaning of this parable because Jesus explains it to us just like he did the, the parable of the sower. He says that he's the one that goes to, he's the one that sows the seed, the field is the world, all, that, all the wheat that, brings for, uh, that it brings forth are believers, followers of Jesus, and the tares are people who are opposed to the kingdom of God, agents of the evil one, whether they realize it or not. And then this is the point of the parable. And this is the thing that Jesus is trying to put forth because people are thinking the kingdom of God, if he's the Messiah, the kingdom of God is here and now, and it's happening. What he's trying to do is to get his hearers to realize that there's gonna be a delay in the realization, uh, the, the announcement of the kingdom of God and the full realization of the kingdom of God. And this is what he spends most of his time explaining. And the focus is on being patient. Instead of the, the guys who come in, the workers who are like, hey, we're going to take a sickle to all of this. We're going to cut everything up. And he's like, no, 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 let's, let's slow down and let's be patient. And let's see how all of this plays out in, in the end. And so just to explain it this way, our family, we just finished watching a show and it was five seasons. And uh, we, I, I don't know how it works at your house, but at my house, uh, you know, when you finish, we finish a show as a family and then we're trying to figure out what new show we're going to watch. And that's a very difficult thing. And, and, you're, and, 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 and honestly, for me, it's like, do I want to give myself emotionally to these new characters, right? And, and it's just, it's, oh, it's a really good show. You're going to like it. I know, but is my heart ready to give myself? Because I'm still mourning the end of the show that I just finished. And so, well, anyway, and I was telling my kids, they're like, what are we going to watch? And I'm like, you know, these are the moments that I really miss Blockbuster Video. And uh, because, listen, and you, you may be too young to remember this, but some of us remember this. Your community, the most hopping place on Friday night in your community was Blockbuster Video. And there was nothing more exciting than the thrill of walking in, walking that perimeter wall and seeing if your new release was there. And if it wasn't there, you, you wouldn't leave. you just hover the counter and see if someone would show up. And then when they showed up, if they were dropping it off, and I'm like, hey, if that's a copy of Face Off, it's mine. And so, and you're trying to, you're trying to get, right? Now, you're going through all these streaming services, like 10,000 movies to choose from. And I was telling my kids, I so much preferred going to a place down the street from my house that was called 10,000 Movies. And I would find something to watch. But Blockbuster is a special place in my heart because when my wife and I first started dating, this is where we, we did like... Uh, our, the very, the, our very first, like, hey, we're really together. And uh, I opened a Blockbuster membership, and I added her as a user 
on the Blockbuster membership. It was 1993. I put her on the membership, and the girl who worked the counter said, uh, well, you know, if you guys break up, she's still going to have access to your account. And, and, and now, it took me a long time to figure out what was happening. But I realize now what this girl was saying is that she looked at me, and then she looked at my incredibly stunning wife and said, at some point, this girl is going to realize she can do a lot better than this guy and they're going to break up, and he's going to come in here, and then there's going to be a bunch of paperwork for me. So why don't I just try to put it out there that maybe this isn't going to last? And, uh, and, and, and so she says, and we're like, well, we're not going to break up. And, uh, and so the girl gave, me, gave us this look. <laughs> we'll see. And, uh, <laughs> and let me tell you something. I've been married to that woman that was, I was with in Blockbuster for 25 years. And, uh, and we dated for four and a half so this December, we will have been together for 30 years. You were wrong, Blockbuster lady. And that's why you went out of business, because you don't believe in your customers. And, <laughs> but the principle isn't bad, right? That you're going to have to wait and see how it turns out. And this is where, right? This is the struggle. And this is the point that Jesus is making in the parable, is that we want the answer, we want the fulfillment of the kingdom, the realization of the kingdom, the ushering in of the kingdom right now. And Jesus is saying through the parable, that's not the way it's going to work. We're going to have to wait to the end. And then, instead of these guys saying, we're going to start swinging the sickle and cutting all the things out, tearing everything up. And, and listen, do you know that we do the same thing? That something, we want God to fix it now and make everything that's wrong in the world right now. And Jesus is saying, no, we're going to wait until the end. And then justice is going to come. And this is what happens every time there's some tragedy or a shooting or, or something that happens. And, and, and we start asking like, well, well, I mean, but where was God? And why didn't God stop it? And, and how could God let this happen? Now, listen, there is a place where God is going to keep all these things from happening. That place is called heaven. And unfortunately, this place isn't it. And the reason is, is that mankind, we were given a will. That is, we are given the ability to choose, and that gives us the ability to choose good or evil. For God to deny us the ability to choose, even the terrible choices is to deny a person the ability to be human. See, sometimes what we want to do is that we want God to intervene, and, and what we're asking is for God to rob us of our ability to love, because listen, for there to be, at the, the heart of love, there is the choice, right? There is the choice to love or not to. It's just... It's just part of what it means to be human. And, and the other thing is, and I think this is an important thing to note, is that when we question, um, when we're asking the question of God to stop the bullet, stop the tragedy, stop the bad thing from happening, because we were created with the ability to choose, if God stopped every evil thing from happening, we wouldn't even have the ability to ask the question of God to do it because the freedom of choice would have been taken away. But we have the ability to choose because we were created with the ability to love God and love other people. And that's why these moments hurt us so deeply. And so we, we want God to stop every bullet and keep every disaster from happening. But this isn't heaven. And every day the world reminds us of that. Now let me dig a little bit deeper into this topic because I think it's so important. So let me show you a picture of this guy. Um, now this dude, you see this guy and you're like, this is a guy I want to hang with. Um, <laughs> Gottfried Leibniz is this guy's name. He was a 17th century uh, philosopher, mathematician, scientist, diplomat, theologian. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, that every time I read about one of these guys, and this guy's a philosopher, mathematician, scientist, diplomat, and theologian. Every time I read about one of these guys, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And I'm just like, what are you doing? Anyway, so um, now, if you're a fan of Marvel, if you're a fan of the Marvel movies, okay, there's six people who've seen a Marvel movie. There's this dude named Tony Stark. That's where it's, anyway. So anyway, but if you're a fan of Marvel or Doctor Strange in particular, you'd love this guy because Leibniz in the 17th century presented a view that's called the best possible worlds theory. And what he did was is that he created this theory that said God is supremely good. And out of all possible worlds that God could have created, he created this one because this was the best possible world to be created. That even though this world is broken, it is the best possible world that could have been created because God is supremely good. Now, this theory was debated uh, for hundreds of years. And then about 40 years ago, 
a guy by the name of Norman Geisler, whose books were required reading when I was getting my undergrad in theology. But Geisler updated uh, Leibniz's theory, saying that this isn't the best possible world, but that this world is the gateway to the best possible world, which is heaven. And this is, uh, simply put, uh, Geisler's brilliant addition to this teaching, is that God created this world to give people a choice to enter the best possible world. Because God isn't going to force anyone to spend eternity with him by force. This is why the subject of hell is such a misunderstood one. And that's why Jesus, and I, and I share this because Jesus ends the parable by talking about uh, those, uh, he says in verse 41, the sons of, uh, son of man will send out the angels and they'll gather the kingdoms, uh, all that offend who practice lawlessness and cast them into a furnace of fire and there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of judgment. And there's a lot of metaphors that the Bible uses to describe hell. One is fire, the other is darkness. Now, once again, uh, the last time I checked, if you had darkness and you struck a fire, that would eliminate the darkness. But once again, these are metaphors that are used to describe what it is. God isn't burning people alive. What does fire do? Fire disintegrates. And so, and, and listen, and that disintegration begins in this life. If you've ever met someone who is consumed by addiction, consumed by destructive emotions, consumed by an ungodly ambition, that fire begins to disintegrate their, their very soul to the point that all that's left in their life is that ungodly ambition, that unhealthy emotion, or that destructive addition, addiction. And, and what happens is, and once again, the fire just leaves nothing else. Darkness is the same thing. It isolates a person. Uh, to, to, in, in their choice. Oh, nobody understands me. Everyone's against me. Uh, Tim Keller, who's the author of The Reason for God, said this. In short, hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into eternity. That's why no one ever asks to leave hell. The very idea of heaven seems like a sham to them. And here's the point, is that no one, hell is a real place, but nobody's going there against their will. Uh, it's, it's not like, you know, people are dangling and then God lets them, oh, no, please. No, that's not the way, when you read the Bible, that's not the way that it works. When you, when you read the Bible, you see people in hell, nobody's asking to leave. And it's, it's such a strange thing. Nobody's asking to leave. Nobody's asking to get out. Everybody's still making excuses. And um, God created us as free beings who can make choices. And for God to force us to choose him violates that choice. That's why C.S. Lewis called hell the greatest monument to human freedom. So when we talk about torment, and that's, hell is a place of torment, that's different than torture. Torture is external, torment is internal. And if you've lived long enough, you've met enough people who are tormented in this life right now. They're tormented by their past, they're tormented by their decisions, they're tormented by words that someone has spoke to them, they're tormented by the pain of someone leaving, and um, in Luke chapter 16, when Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and Laz uh, the rich man finds himself in hell, and he says he's in torment. The word uh, that he says, I'm in torment, is it's to grieve or to sorrow. And that's what hell really is, this perpetual grief. And that's why at the end of the parable, he says that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing uh, of teeth is, is a action that is, uh, throughout the Bible, associated with anger. And the emotion isn't repentance. It's anger. It's rage over the fact that they got caught. There's no sorrow. There's no repentance. There's no desire to change. And the torment uh, of those in hell is of their own doing. It's, a, it's the world that they wanted. It, they wanted a world apart from God. And the question that comes up is, well, but, I mean, can't just God forgive them anyway? Can't God just give them heaven anyway? Well, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says it this way. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start, smoothly, uh, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But God has done so on Calvary. To forgive them? they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid, that is what he does. The damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end. The doors of hell are locked from the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. 
And if you'll forgive the analogy of the wheat and the tares, the, the, the thing that is amazing is that someone who's a tare can decide to become wheat. They can decide to start walking with God and embrace Jesus and go from being a tare to being um, a wheat because, and, 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 but once again, in, in, in the parable that he gives, they refuse to. And in the end, they get the thing that they ultimately desired, which was an eternity without God and without anyone forcing them to do anything. Now that I've lightened up the room considerably, uh, let me... Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you two more parables that Jesus says in verse 31. He says, another parable he put forth saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until all was leaven. If you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you, if the first one was that the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God has real enemies, the second is that the kingdom of God is quietly working. Now, there's some debate over the meaning of these parables, and so I, I think it's fair to tell you that there, there is some debate among scholars to what they mean. Some believe that the birds in the parable are evil uh, because of the parable of the sower, when some falls on the pathway, the birds come and take it, and so they, they believe that every time the birds are mentioned that it speaks of evil, other believes that the birds are good. My predisposition is to believe that birds are evil because pretty much every interaction I've ever had with a bird has not gone well. And, uh, and, and, and the last interaction I had with a bird was like two years ago. Uh, my son, who's 13, he was 11 at the time. I picked him up at my house at lunchtime. We were gonna have lunch together, and then he was gonna spend the afternoon with me here at the office. And so, uh, we walk outside and there's a painter in my neighborhood and I wanted to ask him a couple questions and so we start talking. And so we're standing in front of my driveway and uh, my son is behind me. He says, hey dad, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, just a minute, buddy. And uh, I'm talking to the guy and he says, dad, I, I need you to take a look at this. And, and I say, buddy, one minute and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you my attention. And, and he's like, uh, okay, dad, um, a bird just pooped all over your car. And I look and I want you to imagine a, um, someone taking a, a can of white paint and just putting it all over, I mean, it was, I, I don't even know, what are these birds eating? Um, you know, it's like it, it, laxatives, apparently. Um, and so, anyway, so I'm like, okay, that's disgusting. I'll take care of that in a minute. And then he's, and then he's like, Dad, that wasn't, that wasn't the only thing. Um, and, and I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm like, buddy, please. He's like, Dad, you don't understand. And I go to turn around, and, uh, and he's like, the bird pooped on the car and splashed on me. And I turn around. And this poor kid has bird poop all over his shirt. It's on his neck. And he has kept his composure to be like, uh, dad, excuse me, sir, can we? And, and I'm, I felt so terrible. And I'm like, and so uh, we get him a new shirt. You know, we go in the house, get him a new shirt, get him cleaned up. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, what, 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 what can I do for you? Can I like, can I buy you something? Do you want a phone? Do you want a car? You want the life of your enemies? What do you want? I'll get it for you. He's like, maybe, maybe a Coke? And I'm like, how about two? Just don't tell your mom. And, uh, and so now, so while I do believe that birds in my life, we don't typically get along, but I, I don't believe that in this, in this case, the birds are evil. I, I believe that the birds are a symbol of all the nations of the earth being blessed because of the tree. Now remember, and this is an important thing for us to note, Jesus isn't giving an explanation for all of the parables, which means that there are those who are listening that would understand because there was some kind of Old Testament teaching that would have given context to the parable for his disciples. And so, because some of us aren't Old Testament experts, I'm going to give you the background so that you oh, okay, now I get it. So, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon at the zenith of its power. He was an absolute monarch. What that means is that he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, to whoever he wanted, without any worry about laws, pushback, or political fallout. Now, in chapter 4 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is giving a testimony about his influence and the kingdom of Babylon's influence throughout the entire world. And here's what it says. These were the visions of my, bed, uh, of my head while on my uh, bed I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. 
and the tree grew and became strong. And its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. The leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So I want you to understand what he's saying, that all nations were influenced, and that's how you know. Everybody is being nourished by it. Everybody's finding shade by it. Even the trees from all over are, um, are perching on it because of the influence of the tree. And that's what he's saying is happening in the Babylonian Empire. It's the point that Jesus is making that the church, the kingdom of God, starts small. But the church's influence begins to spread and become a blessing over the entire earth, just like the parable of the leaven. The leaven starts small, but eventually permeates the entire loaf. The mustard seed shows that the church starts small, but eventually becomes a blessing for the entire world. Uh, The church in the book of Acts chapter 1 was 120 people. By Acts chapter 2, it grows by more than 3,000 and keeps growing throughout the book of Acts. Today, one out of three people on this planet identifies as a Christian in, in some form. And the truth is, even if you aren't a Christian, if you're living in a country that is influenced by Christianity, you are living a better life. Everywhere where Christianity has flourished, human life has flourished. And if you don't believe me, just look around the world and look at the places where the practice of Christianity is illegal because of communism or because of Islamic rule. And you know what you'll find? That human beings are suffering And this is why when people, uh, you know, and you hear people talk about how Christianity is oppressive at first, and I'm like, I think these people don't know how to read Uh, because it's it's incomprehensible to me that someone would come to that understanding unless they know nothing of history and how the modern world came to be. And by the way, this isn't just me as a Christian pastor saying this. Historians say this. Uh, There's a historian by the name of Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but uh, this is a guy who is not a Christian, by the way. He is, a, he is a historian. He wrote a book in defense of Christianity. And here, uh, in a recent interview, let me uh, tell you what he said. Um, he said, in almost every way, the classical world is unspeakably cruel to our way of thinking. Yet Paul's portion of the New Testament is not a very lengthy amount of writing, but compacted into a very small amount of writing was almost everything that explains the modern world. Concepts like international law, for, ex- for instance, Concepts of human rights. All of these things don't ultimately go back to Greek philosophers. They don't go back to Roman imperialism. They go back to Paul. His letters, along with the four Gospels, are the most influential, the most impactful, and the most revolutionary writings that have emerged from the ancient world. This is a guy who is not a Christian affirming the very thing that Jesus said, that human life would flourish wherever the church was influential. And then he gives two more parables that uh, we'll look at together. This is where we'll start to make our initial descent. He says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing I want to tell you is that the kingdom of God is worthy of my life. Listen, once again, we have two parables and they're both saying the same thing. A person finds something of tremendous value. They sell everything they have to obtain the valuable thing that they saw. There's three questions we have to answer. Who is the person who finds the treasure? What is the treasure? And what is the, the field? What is the thing that, 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 he, that he finds it in? Now, um, Jesus is the person who finds the treasure. As we've been seeing, um, the field is the world. That's every, through all the parables, the field is always the world. The person who's sowing the seed, doing the action is always Jesus. So Jesus is the person who finds the treasure. The field is the world and he sells everything. What does that mean? That means he gives up everything. He dies so that he can buy the field. When Jesus died, he was redeeming planet earth, not because he cares about planets per se, but because he cares about the inhabitants of the planet. That's why he finds a hidden treasure in a field. He sells everything to buy the field, not because he cares about the field, but because he cares about the thing of value that's in the field. He's seeking beautiful pearls, and he finds the pearl of great price, sells everything to find it. Now, the thing that's interesting to me, it's like, well, why did he tell both of these? Because um, in the, the piece of land that you would sell your land to buy this, 
in the Jewish mind, they'd be like, well, you're not going to sell your land. That's ancestral land, right? So that was, under, that was very understood in the Jewish mind. The, the other thing that I find interesting is that Jews didn't care about pearls. Pearls were not valuable in that culture. Only Gentiles found value in pearls. And this parable is cluing us in on something that Jesus is seeking to reach everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And so the question then becomes, I mean, why does this matter? I mean, you know, Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. And we've, we've heard that so much, right? It's on t-shirts. It's on bumper stickers. It's everywhere. And sometimes we can hear it so much that it starts to lose its meaning. But what it means is that not only did Jesus pay for our sins so that every person who receives him has a place in his kingdom eternally. That's the forever part. But what about now? What, what does it mean if, if, if he's the one that's looking for the pearl and he's the one that's buying the land to sell everything and the field is the world? You know what that means? That means that you and I, you and I that we're the treasure. It means that eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It means that as someone who is treasured by God, when we come to know Jesus, eternal life starts right now. It's why Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to spend an eternity separated from him. But the great thing is that when we come to him, he settles our eternity and where we're going to spend it. But then he also saves us in this life. I'm so grateful that he saves us from bad decisions and evil intentions. And sometimes he even saves us from ourselves and our own madness. And I don't know, if you're a Christian, I mean, if you can think about how many times Jesus has saved you from you. Right? How many times have we gone to do something and God just obstructed our way? Why? That's God saving us from us. But you know the other thing that's cool is that when you become a Christian, God will use you as an instrument save other people. A couple of years ago, I meant to call my brother on Christmas. And so I grabbed my phone and, and I don't know, I guess I wasn't paying attention, but I hit the wrong contact. So I go to call my brother I, I, and I uh, grab the phone and a friend of mine who's a pastor who's planting a church in another state, he picks up the phone and I'm like, what is this guy doing on my brother's phone? And I look, and I'm like, oh, I didn't call my brother at all. I called this guy. So I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, oh, Bob, it's good to hear from you on Christmas. I'm like, yeah, man, I've been thinking about you for the last 10 seconds. And uh, just, uh, just wanted to call you and tell you Merry Christmas and see how you're doing. And uh, so we start talking, and I'm asking him how his Christmas Eve services went. And he's like, well, they, they really didn't go very well. And truth be told, we're, we're talking about shutting the church down. It's just we're not, we don't think it's going to work. And, and, uh, and so I start, I'm listening, and... And I say to him, like, hey, man, look, I, I, um, I don't know everything that's going on in your world, and, and, but, but I, I do know this. I know God called you, and that's something. And so what if we work together and uh, we maybe give it six more months and see what happens? All right. So I started spending time with them. We as a church got involved and started assisting, and um, today... That church is thriving. They're getting ready to buy a piece of property and build a building. Um, and, and once again, all, how did it start? I meant to call my brother. And somehow, I just, you know, and I think I just pushed the wrong button. No, God just had somebody else. Uh, my brother knows Merry Christmas. He's all right. And, uh, and so, but there's just somebody that, and, and, and this is just the cool thing, is that God sometimes will use you as an instrument in somebody else's life. And it just, and it just it changes, changes the whole trajectory of their life. And, and this is such a powerful thing. And do you know why? Because he treasures you. Because in this story, my friends, you are the treasure. And this, I think, is the part that um, sometimes people miss, is that they're like, he's going to usher in the kingdom, and everything's about the land, and what's going to happen politically and militarily. And Jesus is coming along and saying, no, you've got you to understand, this ultimately is still all about people. It's all about people that he loves, that he wants to see transformed and changed for time and for eternity. And here's why, because he treasures you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. And I think that is one of the most powerful truths that you can learn. I think sometimes you hear Jesus loves you and you're like, yeah, well, he's got to love everybody. It's in his contract. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, he's got to do it, right? God is love. That, you know, he's he's got to love everybody. But what if, 
it's, it's more than that. What if he doesn't just love you? What if he likes you? Um, my wife and I, you know, I mean, we tell each other we love each other all the time, but there are, some, there are these little moments sometimes when one of us will do something unexpected and we'll just say to each other, uh, I really like you. And I don't know why saying I really like you means a little bit more. And um, listen, I'm telling you, the minute that you realize that in, that, in this story, you are the treasure, um, it'll change everything. So I'm going to ask all of us to stand in these closing moments. And I want us to just receive this because it's important. When you realize you're the treasure, you know what will happen? You will never devalue yourself again because you will realize that you were someone that Jesus valued as worth dying for. You'll stop sabotaging your future, believing that, well, this is the best I can do. You'll start having a bigger vision for your life. All because one person, the person who really matters, the person who, may, who impacts everything, believes that you are a treasure that's worth sacrificing for. And I'm telling you that when you really believe that down to your DNA, it will transform how you see yourself. It'll transform how you see other people. It'll transform how you see tomorrow and the day after that. Because he really does value you that much. Because the plan that he has for you really is a plan worthy of someone that he treasures. And I mean, what would happen? I mean, what would happen in your life tomorrow if you just embrace that, that you are the treasure that he was talking about, that you're the one that he said, I will give up everything to get the treasure that's in that field, that pearl of great price. If you realize that that was you, I mean, what would that do in your life? what to do would change everything and maybe today is the day that some of us need to really embrace that truth some of us might understand some of that intellectually and say oh yeah I guess I'm loved by God no you are so loved by God that he was willing to die and go to the cross and he would have just for you and some of us have been settling and devaluing and not realizing the worth that we have and here's what's happened is that we've made decisions that are less than everything that God has planned for us and so we have all these regrets and all this baggage that we carry around but what if today was the day what if today was the day that we decided to let all of that go and we decided to embrace the idea that in this story we are the treasure that when we see the pearl of great price and the treasure that's in the field that is the story of us and if that's the story of us, the moment that we embrace it, our story will never be the same. So, if you're saying, Pastor, that's me. I, that's what I need to embrace. And I need to start walking in that. I need to walk in that forgiveness. I need to walk in that purpose. I need to walk in that kind of power that Jesus has for me. If that's you, then listen, you're in the right place at the right time. Because this can be your moment where we say goodbye to the past and hello to the future that God has for us. So in a moment, the band is going to begin to sing. And when they do, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to leave wherever you're standing and meet me here at the base of this platform. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to call out to God together. We're going to ask him to do his work together. And we're going to leave this place different than how we came in, that this becomes our moment to embrace that we are the treasure, that we are loved by him, and that his plan for us is greater than anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. And so if you're ready, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to do this. Then when they begin to sing, you meet me here. And let's see what God does. George, please lead us.
And listen, if you haven't come up and you feel like this is, like I feel like I should be up there, but I don't know that there's any more room, we're gonna make room, all right? Come on, guys, we're gonna wait for you. Come on up. Come on up. God bless you guys. So if you're in your seat and you're saying, I need to be up there, listen, don't go home. Don't go home with one more regret of what I should have done. Maybe today is the day to really embrace that you are treasured and loved by God and that he wants to transform your life into something that is greater than anything we could have possibly imagined. There's this verse that we talk about around here. It's my life verse. And uh, you see it, it's all over this building. It's in Ephesians 3.20. It says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know what that means? That means that the wildest dream that you have for your life doesn't even scrape the bottom of all that God wants to do in and through you. I mean, how can you say no to that? That God wants to do that kind of work in you. So listen, if you're wrestling, then listen, just take a step. You're going to be glad you did. The band's not going to play again or anything like that, but if you say, I need to be up there, then let's, let's do it. And let's watch God do his work in your life. Yeah, come on, God bless you guys. Yeah. Church, let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you so much. We're so grateful that you hear us and that you love us and that you just haven't left us to figure it out alone. Instead, you treasured us and you died for us to show us the value and worth that we have. God, help us to live a life that honors that kind of sacrifice and that kind of love. And Lord, for those that have come forward, I just pray that as they call out to you, that you would hear from heaven and that you would transform them. Listen, those of you that have come forward, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And uh, it's not so much my words, I believe, as it is your heart in this moment. And I want to invite you to pray it out loud, but we're all going to pray it out loud together. Say, Dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. But I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.